Welcome to Hope for Life, a broadcast ministry of the First Baptist Church of Ferndale, Washington, bringing you hope for life through the teaching of God's Word. Today, Pastor Lunsford is continuing his sermon series in the book of Hebrews. If you would like to follow along, you can open your Bible to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. to talk to us today, I believe, about courage. Courage in obedience. In this great chapter on faith, I believe in this section that we're going to look at about Moses, is the, the, the broad lesson that's here is this. If you believe in God, you will be characterized by courageous obedience. Follow as I read Hebrews 11, verse 23. By faith, Moses... When he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. The first aspect of courage that true faith ought to bring in our life is this. We ought to have courage to risk our lives. Look at Moses' parents. When he was born, he was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. You know, we, we are challenged many times to make significant risks for God, perhaps not our physical life, but other aspects of life. Maybe our job. Are you really going to stand up and say, I'm sorry, I will not lie, cheat, or steal for you? You think, oh man, I'm going to lose my job, and then I'm going to lose my house, and on and on. What was God's response to these folks who stood up to the king? Well, if you know your Bible at all, you know the rest of the story. Number one, Moses was saved. Moses didn't die. He became a son of Pharaoh. Is that a blessing? I mean, I think that's a good thing to be living that kind of, you know, basically came the time when he had to make a choice. Number two, his mama got paid to be his mama. Can I get an amen, wives, ladies, mamas? Wouldn't it be great if you got paid just to stay home, take care of your kids? God's response was blessing. And of course, the ultimate blessing is Moses became the deliverer of his mama and everybody else. Wow. The issue here is this, and, and you may not face actual life and death, but the question of faith is this. Do you believe that God will take care of you if you obey, period? Can you risk your neck for God? 
When you look at yourself and say, I can't do it, you're right. You're absolutely right. But that's not what matters. Who were Moses' parents to stand up to the, to the uh, Pharaoh? And it's interesting how God lays the story out for us in telling us the whole business. The Egyptians were obviously strong enough to subjugate this great people that was more in numbers and to cause them to go to what we would call slave labor. So if that's the case, if you're in that position, are you going to stand right up and say, I don't care what the Pharaoh says? What's the worst thing that can happen to you? I'm going to be just a little bit flippant, but at the same time profound. What's the worst thing somebody could do to you? Send you to heaven. Oh my, that's awful. You understand what I'm saying? Jesus said, don't fear the people who can only kill your what? body, but fear him who can kill your body and soul in hell. The second aspect of courage that faith ought to give us is this. Faith ought to give us courage to deny ourself. Hebrews eleven twenty four. By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Moses was part of the royal family. He was called, uh, his position by adoption was the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, was he in line to become the next Pharaoh? We don't know. But he was in the royal family. So what kind of life did Moses have? Man, he had the good life. He was living in the big house with the servants to cook and clean and everything else. And we find in the, uh, the book of Acts, in chapter 7, when Stephen is referring to Moses, that by God's inspiration, Stephen talks about Moses being educated in the ways of the Egyptians. So he, he, he had education, he had money, he had comfort, he had position. I mean, he was on the top of the stack for his day. Interesting the way this is put in verse 24 of Hebrews 11. Moses, uh, in the New King James that I'm using, says when he became of age. The King James says when he came to years. The NIV says when he was grown. The word literally is mega or great. Put together with the word for becoming. And I tried to nail down, you know, I, I should have called Fred Carlson up. But I think God used these words on purpose. It doesn't say he got old in terms of years it says he became great or he he you know we would say he grew up but at the same time what we understand is Moses became a great man in Egypt Stephen also tells us in Acts chapter 7 that Moses was 40 years old that's that's how we know how old he was when he left the first time from Egypt is because of Stephen's words um, he got to this point where he was the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He probably had some responsible position, uh, some responsibility in the government. He was learned in the wisdom, wisdom of the Egyptians and mighty in word and deed, Stephen says. And yet, when he was 40 years old, if you read the story in the Old Testament, it says he went out to visit his brethren. He was Hebrew, he was Jewish. His mother raised him long enough that he knew who his mama was and who, he knew what was going on. And so he went out one day, as we would say, across the tracks. And then go over and see how his Jewish relatives and so on are living. And while he's there, he sees 
this, uh, this Egyptian soldier abusing a, a, an Israelite, and so he kills the Egyptian so soldier, and then through a series of events, he takes off and runs for his life because he finds out he's done something he should not have done, obviously. Moses doesn't forget who he is. And in fact, in that, he, he kills the Egyptian. The next day he comes out and there's two uh, Hebrew folks fighting, mixing it up, and he tries to stop them. And they say, hey, who do you think you are? And it talks about Moses looking at himself saying, don't they know that I'm supposed to help them? Somehow he had a sense that he was supposed to be a deliverer over for his people. But what does Moses do in that, in that going out to his own people? Here we see again in Hebrews eleven twenty five, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. If you're like me and you've known the Lord for a while, you've probably quoted this verse to yourself and to a lot of other folks about the fact that the pleasure of sin is fleeting. And when we think of this phrase, we often think of what we'd call the normal bad sins that are around us, things we've got to say no to and let go. What was Moses' sin? Okay, Think about that for a minute. What was it that he had to say no to in order to say yes to God? Was Moses... You know, uh, immoral? Was he a thief? You know what Moses had to say no to? The good life. He had to let go of being Pharaoh's daughter. He had to say, see ya, big house on the corner. See ya, servants who are cooking my food. See ya, people who harness up my horse when I want to go out for a ride. All of that good life. See ya. I'm going to go out with God's people. In fact, you know what it says he did? Um, choosing rather to suffer affliction, that phrase literally means choosing hard things. He chose hard things. Moses rejected the good life for the right life. From the worldly standpoint, he was sacrificing everything for nothing. But from the spiritual standpoint, he was sacrificing nothing for everything. What about you? What, is there anything that gets your attention more than a big fat paycheck? Oh, man, I'm going to get that job. Oh, man. I don't know how many folks that I've known that have moved to the end of the world somewhere to get a big fat paycheck and they write home crying because there's no church there. Now, I'm not against big, fat paychecks, especially when part of it lands in the offering. What's more important, the big, fat paycheck or the spiritual health of you and your family? What's more important, that promotion that's going to keep you away from home and away from church? Or maybe living a little more commonly and having the blessing of God on your life. Moses rejected the good life for the right life. Now, you know, by God's grace, he gives great riches to some of his choicest servants. There's no doubt about that. I'm not against being rich. But Moses came to a point in his life where he had to choose, am I going to stay with what's comfortable and fun 
and happy, or am I going to go out here and do what's right? If you come to one of those points, mark this down, whatever is good and comfortable and fun and happy will not continue to be so. Because if God brings you to that point of choice and you reject the right life and choose the good life, it'll be, as the scripture says, like gravel in your mouth. It will not be the good life anymore. How did Moses stay true to his call? How did he, where did his courage come from? Look at verse 26. He kept looking away to the reward. That's the best literal translation of that. He kept looking away to the reward. You know what you have to do when you're trying to change your habits? You have to keep looking away. You have to keep on doing it. Oh, oh look at that. Oh, I got to go over here. Oh, I got to go over here. Oh, no. He kept focused on the real reward, which is someday I'm going to be with God, and someday God is going to say, well done. He kept looking to that reward. 1 Corinthians 4.18 tells us that the things which are seen are temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We talked about this in the last few weeks, looking at this passage. What are you focused on? If all you can think about is having a big, fat retirement and a dream house and so on, to the disregard of God's priorities in your life, it's not going to be the good life. Moses chose the right life, and God blessed him for it. The third aspect of courage that God gave Moses through faith and that he wants us to have is this, the courage to speak truth to power. Now, that's a little phrase I picked up from one of my favorite TV shows, and that's The West Wing. I hate their politics, but I like the show. <laughs> and when they brought in a new employee to work in the president's office, they, had, they set up a situation to see if this person would speak truth to power. Or, you know, be, essentially because apparently the president on this TV show didn't want yes men or yes women who always say, oh, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But they say, look, here's the way it is. There are people of power in all of our lives. You might be married to one. You might have one as a teacher. You might have one as a boss. You might have one in your community organization your homeowners association. You might have an extended family member. There are people of power. Sometimes they're powerful because you give them power, sometimes because they have it, sometimes because they take it. Moses, it says here, forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. If you were to read the commentaries on this verse, you'd find a little bit of a debate here. And if you follow the passage, it says, he chose to suffer affliction with the people of God, and then it says he forsook Egypt, and then it says he kept the Passover. So the debate is, when he forsook Egypt, does that mean when he ran for his life from Pharaoh? Well, that can't fit, because then he would have been running in fear. Well, if it means it was when he led the children of Israel out across the Red Sea, well, then we're out of sync in the chronology here. You know what? I don't think God makes any mistakes. <laughs> you know what the great challenge for Moses was? It's when God said, Moses, I got something for you to do. 
Moses says, what's that? He said, I want you to go back and talk to Pharaoh. This is after Moses has been out in the wilderness for a while. Got a nice life. Got a wife. Got some kids. Got a flock. And God says, Moses, go down and tell Pharaoh, as the old song says, let my people go. Oh, buddy. You mean, God, I'm supposed to march right up to Pharaoh and say, hey, Pharaoh, you know all those people that are your slaves that are building those cities for you? Let them go. That's the crisis point for Moses right there. Is he going to go? Is he going to chicken out? He forsook Egypt. That is, he let go of Egypt in going to the king and saying, buddy, it's time. God called him to faith. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. Let's follow some more of this story. You see, because when we look at Moses or anybody in the Bible, sometimes we're tempted to think they were special. Oh yeah, Moses was courageous, but he was special. Let's look at Moses in verse 10 of chapter 3. Exodus 3.10. God says, Come now, therefore, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I <laughs> that I should go to Pharaoh? See, Moses didn't go, Yeah, God, let's go. Moses wasn't the commando type. Maybe he's thinking, You know, I tried that once, God, and it didn't work out. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So God said, I will certainly be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I am come to my brethren, the children of Israel, and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. It's a phrase that just talks about constant existence. And thus he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent you. Drop down with me to chapter 4. So right up front, Moses says, oh man, look at chapter 4. God goes on talking some more in chapter 4. Then Moses answered God and said, but suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a rod. And then God gave him this miracle to do. Look at verse 10. Then Moses said to the Lord, Oh my Lord, I'm not eloquent. Neither before, neither before you or, nor since you have spoken to your servant. But I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, the blind? Have not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be your mouth and teach you what to say. But he said, oh my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well, and look, he's coming out to meet you, and so on. What was the source of Moses' courage? Moses was not a natural-born leader. He was not the guy who woke up in the morning thinking, man, I can't wait back to kick some Pharaoh behind. 
He was saying, you know, I kind of like it out here in the desert, Lord. God said, I have something for you to do. There is a powerful person that you need to go face. And if we come back to Hebrews 11, we find out that the way that Moses maintained his courage was this. He endured, verse 27, as seeing him who is invisible. Eventually, Moses got his heart around the truth that God, the invisible creator of the universe, is more powerful than anyone else. And he said, this is my God, and he commands me to go, and I will go, even though I think it might be a disaster. I'm going to go, and I'm going to see what God does. Hebrews 27.1, the Lord is my light. Whom shall I fear? Christian, the greatest hindrance to you moving forward in the face of a person of power is this. Do you believe God can take care of you if you do the right thing in talking to that person of power in your life? It's not that you're a person of small courage. Moses was a person of small courage. But he got his heart around this truth. Hey, God's going to take care of me. One commentator said this, Moses, as seeing the invisible one who is infinitely mightier than the little visible Pharaoh. If you've got a powerful person in your life that you need to talk to, you need to, there's some righteousness that needs to go on between you and them, you need to remind yourself that God is on your side. And whatever the outcome is going to be, it's going to be good. It may not be easy, but it's going to be good. Do you believe that God will take care of you if you deliver that hard message to that powerful person in your life? We have to take courage in God that he will take care of us. Well, the last piece of courage that Moses had was this. He had the courage to call people to faith. Look at verse 28 of Hebrews 11. By faith, Moses kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch him. Now think about this. Here's Moses. He's been out in the desert, and he's come back and performed a number of miracles by which Pharaoh has hardened his heart, one after the other after the other. You know, I, I don't know what the time frames on those were, but maybe you could imagine Moses goes down and he does the first miracle with the rod, throws the rod down and it becomes a snake. He picks it back up, it's a rod. Pharaoh's magicians imitate that somehow. Can you imagine the buzz back in the Hebrew community? Oh yeah, Moses, he thought he's going to go right down there and tell Pharaoh what's going on. And I heard he threw that rod down. You know, those, oh, I've seen those guys do that a hundred times. What was he thinking? And then he goes down and does, the, you know, there's, uh, you know, the flies and the frogs and all of this stuff. And I'm sure the people of Israel are going, wow, that's really something. But, you know, it's just not getting Pharaoh's attention. It's not working. Whatever it is, I don't know how he's doing that, but it's not working. And then we come along to the 10th plague, and Moses said, hey, all you children of Israel, on this certain day that's coming, 
you go and sacrifice the lamb and you take the blood and you daub it on the doorpost of your house and you get inside and you cook that lamb and you eat it with just these certain foods and so on and when the death angel passes through your house won't be touched so now you've probably always imagined these people go oh yeah Moses right on why would they do that they're thinking, let's see, Moses killed that guy, and then he ran for his life, then he came back and did these miracles, and Pharaoh didn't listen to him. And I'm trying to decide, am I going to obey what he says God told him for me? That took great courage on Moses' part. I mean, how many times do you get your nose bloodied and you keep going back for more? Moses kept telling the truth. He kept telling the truth. He took it to Pharaoh. He took it to the people of God. He never stopped. He called people to believe. He said, hey, folks, God's going to do something and you're going to want to be part of it. And there's some other things he's going to do that you're not going to want to be part of. And he called them to faith. He had the courage to do that. Do you have the courage enough to tell somebody, hey, bud, God could fix that in your life. God could help you, lady, with that problem. Do you have the courage to do that? Do you believe God will come through? Moses did. How did he do that? Was it a natural thing? No, it was by faith. He said, God, you can do this. And he put faith in God. Wow. Do you believe in God's way so much that you encourage others to follow it? Turn with me to one more passage this morning, 1 Samuel 17. One of my favorite, favorite passages of Scripture in the whole Bible. 1 Samuel 17. Familiar story to most of us about David and Goliath. If you're not familiar with it, the background is this, that the Philistines, which were a people who, who hated the Jewish people, came to conquer them, and as they set the battle, two lines of army facing each other in the old form of battle, they said, look, we don't even need to have a battle. We're going to send one guy out. You send one guy out. Whoever wins, that's the winner. Of course, their guy was nine feet tall. Goliath. I mean, that would be... That would be about in this neighborhood if he was standing on the floor. It says that the spear that he carried was like a weaver's beam. I've never been able to find out how big that is, but it's something that the, the weaving loom was, was hung on. It was that big was the spear. I believe the tip of the spear, as I recall, was, weighed eight pounds. Eight pounds is a shot put. You know, that, that big metal thing that, oh, like that. This was on the end of his spear. Can you imagine that thing flying at you? Look at David. Chapter 17, verse 32. Then David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of Goliath. Your servant, talking about himself, will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You're not able to go against this Philistine and to fight with him, for you're a youth. And he's a man of war from his youth. David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep, and when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it, and I struck it, and I delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. 
Your servant has killed both a lion and a bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. See, David saw the issue for what it was. It was a spiritual battle. Verse 37, Moreover, David said, The Lord, who delivered me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. David said, God's going to do something here. So I'm going to go forward. And you know, the story says that he ran. He ran after Goliath. He went, whoa, yeah. Oh, man, that's kamikaze faith. Yeah. Was David wearing a no-fear T-shirt? Was he naturally brave? No, he was spiritually alive. David had no doubt God could deliver him, so he went full speed ahead into righteousness. Friends, if your obedience level isn't what it needs to be, the real problem may be your faith in God. Not that it's absent. Not that you're without faith, but that your faith has not grown to the point where you say, hey, I've got the God of the universe on my side. So this little problem that I have here is just that. It's a little problem because he is so big. May God help our faith to show in our obedience. Heavenly Father, it is our privilege to be your children because you do such incredible things in us and through us and around us. Father, help this church to be known as a place where we obey because we believe. Help us to see you for who you are and for what you want to do. I pray in Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to Hope for Life, the broadcast teaching ministry of the First Baptist Church of Ferndale, Washington. You can learn more about our ministry on the internet at www.ferndalebaptist.com or you can contact us by mail at First Baptist Church P.O. Box 69 Ferndale, Washington 98248 Telephone 360-384-3111 We invite you to join us for worship Sunday mornings at 1045 a.m. Our prayer is that God's Word will give you hope for life.